Welcome to Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed. Bill Curtis, the man, the myth, the legend. I'm the Bill that never gets vetoed. <laughs> Bill Curtis. <laughs> and here is your host at the Chase Bank Auditorium. Okay, so Bill, I thought the best way to get into this would be sort of in, in an homage to Bluff the Listener. Why don't you tell me two truths and a lie? Well, I got my start uh, with a tornado. It was in Topeka, Kansas. And, in 1966. Uh, yeah. I happened to be in position to give the warning, uh, for God's sake, take cover. I know that truth. You're yeah. famous, truly. For, can well, you, how did you say, for God's sake, take cover? For, can I hear it? For God's sake, take cover. And I have gone back to look at the kinescope or whatever it was. We, I don't think we had videotape in those days, uh, at least uh, smaller than two inch. But that's my, that was my first uh, television job. And I was studying for the bar, having gone to law school uh, while working as a weatherman and announcer in the news. And it was the only television station in town and just happened to be on the air. I mean, looking live into a camera. And you weren't even supposed to do it, right? Wasn't no, it? Didn't I was a friend uh, ask substituting you? Yeah. for a friend who wanted to leave early on vacation. You know, it's the stuff that makes you believe that you have a destiny, that it was mm -hmm. God-directed, if you believe in God, um, and was meant to happen. So just for people who may not know, for listeners who know you mostly now as, as the scorekeeper on Wait, Wait... I mean, here's just some things. You hosted the CBS Morning News yes. with Diane Sawyer. Yeah. Good morning. Good morning, Diane. Good morning. It's October 15th. Here are some headlines for the news that's making uh, the top stories today. You narrated the oh, Anchorman yes. movies. There was a time, a time before cable, when the local Anchorman reigned You run a cattle ranch? All that? All, all of that. <laughs> and you're also... A very successful television producer. You're a mogul. Well, I don't know about that. When people ask you what you do, what do you what do you say? I, I have to think. I really have to think. <laughs> I can make something up. I said, well, geez, a lot of things. I'm in television. <laughs> okay. All right. You can also, yeah, I guess, isn't it you funny know, to say I'm in radio? It feels yeah. so old-fashioned. But, you know, therein lies a story. You got your first announcer job when you were 16. 16. What, what was it like for you to hit puberty and hear this voice come out of you? I mean, did you realize this voice could be gold? I did realize that it was deep. And, uh, you know, in, in uh, high school, you sing in the chorus, and I was a baritone and could hit the bass notes. So I did, um, I did know that maybe I had a future there. So I went down at age 16, and it was the only radio station in town, Independence, Kansas, 10,000 people. Great place to grow up, especially in the 50s, late 50s. And uh, sure, he hired on at $1.35 an hour. Some of the best experience I've ever had from, you know, you rip and read, you learn how to... Uh, what does rip and read mean? It means go to the wire machine. That's something far before your time. It was an Associated Press wire, and it came off with a teletype. Like an old fax. Yeah, the old, yeah, sort of like a fax. And uh, it would roll up, very dramatic, and the sound was very dramatic. And you would rip it off and read it. Um, most radio stations uh, did it that way. Did, what were your parents like? Did, did they 
did they watch you have this amazing career? You know, that's a good question because uh, they were a Midwestern, which means they were not openly loving. Mm. We didn't hug a lot. So I can I walked away um, not having a great deal of love for my mother because she was always critical. Um, you know, when I would come home, respected my dad an awful lot. He wound up as a retired brigadier general in the Marines. I was 13 before I lived off a military base. So it was El Toro and Cherry Point. Um, Marines will recognize that as the, uh, the Marine Air Wings. And I thought about a military career until I got in it. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I decided, and it wasn't, uh, you know, I was in essentially in peacetime. Vietnam had not really hit. Did your parents live long enough to see you become so incredibly successful and famous? And, and did you ever hear, a, we're proud of you? So? You know, I, I was, um, uh, I, uh, certainly, yeah, I couldn't deny that. But um, I was a correspondent. And for the Crankite Show at CBS News and uh, in, in the heyday. And I was in the uh, L.A. Bureau. And we were guy covered Manson for 10 months and Angela Davis for six months. And Daniel Ellsberg, he was starting out there. MLK? So, um, Robert uh, Kennedy assassination, yep, yep. right? Oh, yeah. I was here in Chicago for that. Um, I mean, I ran. I literally ran with uh, the firebrand. They were lighting up Madison Street here in Chicago, and uh, they did Roosevelt Avenue and down around 63rd Street. It was burning the city. You see all these things, and I feel a little guilty, as most news people are, uh, when they say, oh, oh, yeah, it was a great time. Well, we're speaking of, you know, for firemen, they say, oh, that was a great fire. Why? You got into it for a reason to fight fires. You want good stories to cover, Yeah. you know, if you're a journalist. So you spent the majority of your career covering things of, of gravitas, right? So assassinations and Agent Orange and uh, Manson, and you produced and voiced these important documentaries. Has there always been a funny side to you that you felt was latent and, you know, unexpressed? Yes, and you express it very well. Think of it, 50 years uh, in essentially that uh, <laughs> line of work. You had to be a straight man. Yeah, and I couldn't laugh on the air. I couldn't tell a joke, could hardly smile because as an anchor or reporter, why, you're very serious delivering the news. So, Coming to Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, it was a transition into another side of myself. You're like liberated. You know, You're I like a chrysalis. Free. I'm free. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I'm free to, um, to, uh, you know, to explain that I'm not that funny, but I can laugh real loud. <laughs> no. And once in a while, I'll funny. slip a line <laughs> in just here and there. But what's nice about uh, working with everyone there is that the. All of you guys are professional uh, comedians, funny people, humorists, whether writing uh, or stand-up comics. Uh, so, as a matter of fact, my wife and I have kind of fallen in love with it to the point where she's become a groupie. I set everything aside so that I'm able to devote time uh, to the show. You mentioned when you were talking about how you're life changed uh, with the Topeka tornado. You mentioned fate. 
And your life story has has valleys. Um, you lost your first wife when she she was only thirty six. Yeah, yeah. Um, but breast cancer. So, and you had two little kids. Two. Yeah, one six and one ten. And um, I, I'm from the generation when I never changed a diaper. I mean, there was no sensitivity training for me back in those days. And the bad thing is that, you know, the first morning I came down when uh, the kids were in the house and uh, I had to fix breakfast, I, I knew how to pour cereal into a bowl and add milk, and that was about it. And it's, it's, it's the side of a terrible disease that is seldom written about or told, which is the rest of the family how it or a disaster or crime, you know, affects all the people around the victim. And it's a behavioral lifestyle change of a really dramatic kind. Forever. Um, but you do it. You lost your son, Scott, mm -hmm. when he was 38. Yes. Not that long ago. No, no. And Donna, your, your wife, who was yes. Scott's stepmother, really, right? Mm -hmm. Talked about his loneliness and how you all have wanted to to focus on helping other people not be that lonely. Mm. What what do you do in Scott's memory? Well, Scott was schizophrenic, and that is a terrible uh, disease uh, because it's a disease of the brain, and you can look very normal, and he can be looking at you and see hallucinations, um, be hearing voices. He's just dealing with so much inside his brain. Uh, he had pancreatitis and very serious uh, diseases. Um, but it was uh, so many of these cases uh, do die before they're 40. I think it's really generous of you to be so forthcoming about it. You know, I wasn't at first, but there is a lot to learn from it and just from the observations. It strikes me the way you describe schizophrenia. Um, how things can look totally fine from the outside. That that that's also a bit of a metaphor for your life because your life is you're very you're very successful. You, I know you. You're you're basically a happy person. Yeah. You know you've had a, a a kind of golden shiny life, and you've had two real tragedies. Well, it. these are tragedies that you know can cripple. A lot of people, I'm a terrible optimist in the sense that, uh, you know, people say, well, how's your life? I say, well, I've had a good life. Wait a minute. <laughs> then, I'll, then I'll back up and say, hey, I've had my share yeah. uh, of, uh, of, of downtime. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously you become stronger and all the while you're sorting out what does this mean? Does it have meaning? Is there karma? Is there a balance? Is there a God? How could God do this? If yeah. he is, what is he testing me with and for? It's sort of a continuing dialogue. Do you have any answers? <laughs> Give them to me, please. I, I haven't reached any conclusions <laughs> yet. Uh, one is um, survive. You're there to survive and do good. After the break, Bill Curtis reveals his romantic side. We rolled out some uh, meatpacking paper down the aisle, and someone sprinkled uh, rose petals, real ones. That's next on Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed. Support for NPR comes from MailChimp, who wants you to know that they do all kinds of marketing to help small businesses grow. 
from building beautiful landing pages to retargeting and audience management, and of course, great email marketing. So while it may seem like MailChimp has outgrown their own name, that just means their business has grown. MailChimp. They do more than mail. Support for this podcast and the following message also come from Doctors Without Borders. Right now, Doctors Without Borders teams are on the ground in over 70 countries, providing life-saving medical to those who need it most. Awarded the Nobel Prize in 1999, Doctors Without Borders is known around the world as one of the most trusted humanitarian organizations. To learn about making a lasting gift to Doctors Without Borders by including the organization in your estate plans, visit legacy.doctorswithoutborders.org. Welcome back to Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed. Once upon a time, Bill Curtis was the epitome of the trusted voice of news. Then we got to him. Love. It's what makes a Subaru a Subaru. Learn more at Subaru.com. Why? It's one hot bitchin' ride. (laughs) And to our producers, if you leave that in... (laughs) I do a year for free. (laughs) I wonder if some of your comedy comes from your resiliency. Could be. Could be. Maybe I just have a dirty mind. (laughs) Okay, well, that brings you to my favorite thing that you do, and it's everybody's favorite thing that you do. It's like you can't stop. Will Will you please share with everyone what you do when you talk about lumber liquidators? Well, you know, at first... I, w- I would be uh, very obvious about it, uh, like reaching out, begging almost. Uh, any college kids here? Hard wood. And, of course, it gets a good response. But then Peter Peter and I now have kind of analyzed it. So we, we sort of play, play with it. He said, you know, if you're looking for a laugh, George Kaufman would say they're not going to laugh. But if you just toss it off as if... Uh, you know, it's casual, then they'll laugh. More at LumberLiquidators.com or 1-800-HARDWOOD. They pay extra for that. Yeah, I know. I, I told them this is Chicago. They are sure to react. You started appearing on the show in 2012. Yes. When you were filling in occasionally That's for, right, for, for Carl, Carl. And then you took over full time in May 2014. Did Carl give you any advice before handing over the reins? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, I met uh, Carl after the, I had uh, started to fill in for him. Oh. So uh, we didn't get a chance to uh, talk seriously about technique and, and the show itself. And I met him. He came to dinner at the Tanglewood. And uh, we were, you know, it's one of those things. We were news people. Yeah. So we instantly. Rip and read, guys. Yeah, we instantly connected. He, I could tell he thought like I did. Uh, you know what the headlines are. You've got background on the stories. You're ready to discuss it. And that's what you kind of value in your conversation and life because that's the curiosity that a journalist has. Uh, so it was very, very interesting. Was there anything... Are there parts of Carl's role that you kind of consciously tried to incorporate? I I deliberately did not go back and study Carl because I didn't want to copy him Mm -hmm. or be copying him. So I don't know. Uh, You know, we both have deep voices. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, We both do bad impressions. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> Although I have to say, Bill, and and this is a compliment to to both the style of uh, the respective styles of you and Carl. The humor about Carl, if if you didn't listen to his oeuvre, uh-huh. the thing that was so funny about Carl is. He was always Carl. Like he, 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 he even if he tried, it just sounded like Carl. Yeah. But you actually, you really give it a go when you try different voices, and you both get props. Yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm not trying to be someone else. I learned that very early on. My dad used to say to me, "Play within your game. Play yeah. in your game. Stay yeah. in your lane." I guess. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh-huh. yeah. Don't, don't try to be somebody else. You, you've had uh-huh. this sort of um, uh, stentatorian august kind of kind of character, right? Uh-huh, uh-huh. And you're revered in in journalism. Do you ever sort of feel like you're burning it all to the ground <laughs> with wait wait? <laughs> <laughs> or before that Anchorman. Oh, well, yeah. Anchorman yeah. Was, was the I mean, I was scared to death. What were you scared of? Well, uh, going to, you know low uh, out of my field, you know, into humor. And uh, kind of making a fool of myself uh, in the Will Ferrell slash. I called Harold Ramis, who was a friend here in Chicago. And he said, hey, uh, what are, what's the likelihood this thing is going to be a hit or am I going to be embarrassed myself? That was the key. I didn't want to embarrass myself and throw away, you know, a career. <laughs> here. The, um, he said, well, you, nobody knows if it's going to be a hit. Um, because you just can't predict it. But you have good people doing it, you know, even though Adam McKay, it's his first movie. And then I read the script and I was on the plane and I swear to God, I laughed so hard after every line. And then I went in and did an audition uh, in in the booth. They made Bill Curtis audition? Well, they wanted to hear. Yeah, well, they did. Even though Adam uh, McKay told me later that he wrote it with me in mind because he was doing Second City when I was uh, the anchor band in town, and we were hot, and uh, so everybody watched us. Uh, So, you know, I had an advantage, I guess. Anyway, I laughed again after uh, on tape. And they were listening. They were all in a room out in Universal City, and they're listening to this, and they were so thrilled because the jokes were all old. You know, you live with writing jokes and humor, and and they didn't find them funny at all anymore. And to find somebody reading for the first time and laughing like that, they were thrilled. Anyway, so I got the part. You know, a lot of the humor in Anchorman comes from I mean, it's satirizing that old school kind of dismissal of women and like the sexual <laughs> harassment. And, yeah. and I don't even know if nowadays that movie would, would get a green light because, you know, we're very conscious of how that's not funny. But is uh-huh. it, was that the way it was? I mean, obviously oh. it's hyperbolic, but were things, was it really bad for women? Yes. So the opening line, there was a time, <laughs> a time before cable. When only men read the news. And in San Diego, that man was Ron Burgundy. And he steps off the helicopter, and there's a tight shot of his white loafers hitting the asphalt. Well, what could be a better setup than that? You know what? It's also self-awareness and and the ability to laugh at yourself and where you come from. And I think people really dig that. I think they do. They do. So— Going a little behind the scenes. Oh, wait, wait. Oh. Are you really keeping score? Is it up to you or are the producers in your ear? It's not up to me. It is the producers. I don't think I could do it. 
or anybody could do it, you know, when they're trying to do the job announcing. Sometimes uh, one of our producers forgets to give me the score, and I have to just make it up. And But we'll catch. There's a guy you'll see you know, on Facebook. Uh, well, technically. Oh, you got, you right. Know, and you yeah. said that's the highest score since I've been here. Which was I say accurate, but he came in and said, well, technically, that's not the highest score ever. Tom Bodette, this, and P.J. O'Rourke wants five years. And I, you, you say, come on, this guy's listening, you know, with that? So it, it's not my fault if I make a mistake on those numbers. So when we, we all have headsets on when we do the yeah. show. And sometimes I can hear our executive producer, Mike Danforth, um, talk give you a note. It used to be. I don't know how often they're talking in your ears during the show. Not very often. Not often. At the beginning, when you first started, we all used to hear Mike say, go, in the middle of the theme song to tell you when to start talking. They still do that. Oh, because I haven't heard it lately. I thought maybe you're totally up to speed, like you're, you're well, flying I am. without I'd, a net. I know where to, where to come in. You know, there's a little dip ah. in the music, but uh, that also makes them feel good <laughs> that they're directing it. It, it's actually kind of exciting. It feels it like we're about to take off. It well, feels... it does. And uh, when you look down in the front row and some others, and this is one reason, frankly, Donna comes, you see the looks on the people's faces like like they recognize, oh, oh, it's real. Yeah. You know, they're real people saying those things, and I recognize the music and the voices and here we go. Yeah, it feels like liftoff. It feels very magical to see it to, does. to see it people does. in the audience register uh, that. With a live show like that. Has there ever been a time on stage at Wait, Wait, where you couldn't stop laughing? Where you couldn't kind of do your job? I lost it once. Yeah, and uh, it was, wasn't that long ago, maybe within a year. And it was a line that Ian Shillog, one of the writers, uh, had come up with, which was about uh, Taco Bell. And it was the phony uh, sponsorships. And Taco Bell, maker of the new Crunch Wrap Extreme, reminding you snobs that Chipotle was the one that made you crap your insides out. Taco Bell. <laughs> Taco Bell. Run for the border, not the bathroom. <laughs> for some reason, it just hit me. I love that. All right. You got married to Donna. Yes. Just, just very recently. Yeah. After how many years together? Only 40. Only 40. You got you two have been called Chicago's greatest love story. <laughs> and she was a producer at CBS in Chicago, right? Yeah. You talk about um, a workplace romance. She was uh, an executive producer. She said, yeah, but I was his boss. Um, Is she still your boss? <laughs> well, yes. You know. <laughs> what made you guys get married after 40 years? It just seemed like the right thing to do. I said, yeah, but you, you know, I buy insurance for you. 
<laughs> why? <laughs> Nothing you know, why? says love. Don't like... you trust me? Don't you trust me? But it was very well done in the sense of by now, you know, you put 40, 50 years into a community and everybody else sort of grew up with you, one of whom was a Supreme Court justice for the Illinois Supreme Court. That's who married you? Uh, uh-huh. And so uh, she said, oh, yes, let me do it. And uh, we went into her chambers and then into the courtroom. And Donna produced it, of course. And she brought in exhibit pieces, photographs of our time together, but our our, uh, upbringing, too, and uh, actually had oral arguments. And I had rebuttal. I was given a two minutes rebuttal, and she took about eight or nine on why we should get married. This was in front of the judge. Yeah, the judge was there. Not not the full panel, but in. What was your rebuttal, Bill? Well, I, I thought of something. Um, I said, "We put in forty years, and we're happy. You know, what's the point? What? Why now?" And uh, of course, I was overruled by the judge. <gasps> And, Did um, you think you had a shot? <laughs> Did you really think she was going to rule in your well, favor? I, I, look, I was reaching back to my law school days. <laughs> and uh, no, I, I didn't. And we had, you know, three or four couples there. And we rolled out uh, some uh, meatpacking uh, paper down the aisle to enter. And someone sprinkled uh, rose petals, real ones. And then my sound man from the production company played, At last, my love has come along. Bill, thank you so much for telling us all this. Well, it's fun. Thank you for making us laugh. For for going low, as you say. (laughs) Keep those good scores coming. (laughs) That's Bill Curtis. Next time on Wait, Wait, Naked and Ashamed, panelists P.J. O'Rourke, Helen Hong, and Maz Jabrani reveal the secret to crafting the perfect Wait, Wait persona. Pat Pajamas O'Rourke, one of the less threatening members of the Winter Hill Gang. I don't know what to say. No, it's not an act. She really is that happy. It's <laughs> Helen Hong. I'm Faith Saley. That's next time. 